0: This week I officiated at the second of the second wedding in two weeks. Uh, praise the Lord, this one was dry. Uh, the last one was like this. Uh, it was delightful. There is a sentence. I love the wedding ceremony. I love, I love weddings. Uh, but there is a sentence that just gets me, catches me every time. It's during the exchange of rings. And it links perfectly, as this couple is, they vowed, and now they're giving symbols of a vow. It links perfectly to the idea that God designed marriage, what's happening there, to to point, to be a sign of the love that God has for the church. That's what scripture tells us. That's, That's what the function of the design of marriage is to point to the source of love. I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow. And with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. What a statement. That's huge. That's a huge statement. With all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. So huge. That is a human impossibility. We say it on that day, we make a vow, and it is impossible. It's aspirational. It's one of those signs that is tacitly acknowledging. Poverty. We have spiritual poverty. We can't do what we aspire to do. And it reminds us what Jesus said about the rich entering the kingdom. With man, it is impossible. But with God, Not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So spouses are saying, I will honor you with with everything I am, the whole of who I am, and that is actually what Jesus has done and continues to do for the church. He gives himself fully to believers. And we, on our part, Well, that's what we confess. With all that we are, we honor Him. But people will be people. And the withholding that we do from one another, the withholding that happens in every relationship, the guardedness, the pulling back, the walls, we do with the Lord also. The Lord who loves us unfailingly and completely. It's fitting, this is fitting to ponder uh, this this sign of marriage on this first Sunday after Pentecost. Last week we celebrated Pentecost, Pentecost, the new covenant marriage between Christ and his church. So Jesus, who gave his very life, poured out his spirit on the redeemed and bounds the redeemed in everlasting relationship with him. Everlasting relationship with anyone who would put faith in him. It's a covenant. And we remembered that in a special way last week. It's it's part of the calendar of the church. We remember it in a distinct way. But each Sunday, we remember the same thing. Each Sunday, we remember our union with him as we take communion. This sign... It's a sign of our union with him as we we eat the sign of him. And so it it is a sign that we, he really is in us by faith. As As he has said, he gives all of himself to us. We eat. And he becomes one with us. And so every week in communion, we celebrate our union with Christ. It's like the renewing of vows, We do it very often. So, although we do this in a special way on Pentecost, in the first couple of weeks after Pentecost, it it seems right that we explore this new reality uh, of of the covenant. Many of you are newish to this congregation. And uh, those who've been around even for several years, maybe even for a long time, got knocked off a little bit by the pandemic, unsteadied. So I've noticed that uh, our very many backgrounds mean that we think about the new covenant in distinct ways. We think about church life in different ways. But there is an established culture here. There, there is a way that we think about it. Christ the Redeemer, the people of this congregation, that we, we think about the new covenant and the way that the gift of the Holy Spirit draws us into fellowship and shapes our corporate life, shapes our worship, and shapes how we relate to one another. So we're going to talk about that this week, and we're going to talk about that a bit next week. And then we'll move back to John. Working through John. Last week, uh, we focused on the truth of Pentecost that in the giving of the Holy Spirit, God has given Himself personally. And God is agape. God is love. He is self giving love. His nature is self giving love. So, into deadened human hearts, He brings life and with life, he animates a believer with agape. He puts something there that wasn't there before. Into a rebel, he enables self-giving love for him. We would not have pursued him, we would not have sought him, had he not given himself to us. So all the, new, all the New Testament is built on this, the New Testament writings. New Testament is another way of saying New Covenant. Testament means covenant. So what we read as the New Testament are the writings concerned with the New Covenant that we have with God. And so all the New Covenant scriptures assume this grace-filled love of God that is the distinctive marker of the people of God. It's a new reality. And so we hear Paul today, as he wrote to the Galatians. If we live by the Spirit, so having been made alive by the Spirit, if we live by that, let's walk by the Spirit. You know, Galatians, he's continually incredulous. Uh, How is it that you were given life by God's Spirit, and now you try to just do it on your own? Silly Galatians. If he made you alive by his spirit, that's how you're to live. And the fruit of the spirit is love. We'll be looking at Galatians 5 quite a bit. Galatians 5 and John chapter 15. So if you have your scriptures, that's, that's where we'll be looking. The new covenant people... We're astounded by this truth. That what has happened is that God has enabled and accomplished what he commanded. I'll say that again. God himself enabled and accomplished what he commanded to be done. So Jesus gave this command. We heard it already. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Again, what he just said, what he commanded is to love with divine, self-giving love. Impossible. Shortly after he had said this, they tried to do it. These guys who had walked for three years with God himself, they'd been hearing his teaching, pouring in. They would put their faith in him. These were faithful followers, and they tried to do what he commanded. Peter, gloriously as he does, latched on to this notion with the highest of ideals. He heard it. He heard Agape. Self-giving love. He knew what that meant. And so he said, if I have to die for you, I'll do it. I will lay down my life for you. Though they all fall away. It's like, I know what's in them. If they all fall away, I will not fall away. I will never deny you. And Matthew and Mark tell us, all the others said the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. We will lay down our lives for you. They wanted it to be true. They wanted to have that love. They wanted to love Jesus with the love of God. They wanted to have the power to deny themselves. It was was a wonderful ideal. The Stoics thought self-denial was the highest of ideals. They wanted that, but they literally didn't have it in them. on multiple levels. They didn't have it in them to do what they aspired to do. And at the first sign of pressure, you know what they did. They cut and ran. They cut and ran. They thought to die for him. And they directly denied all connection with him. Multiple times. I don't even know this guy. They wanted to love him like he loved them. Because they'd experienced his love. They wanted to be able to return that. But they didn't have it. But when his spirit came, when his spirit came into them, Jesus fulfilled what he had commanded them. He did it for them. He gave them the love to lay down their lives for him and for each other, and they did. They did. The fruit of the Spirit is agape. Where the Spirit comes, he brings the love of God. Self-giving, love. The fruit of the spirit is love. It's a beautiful statement. It's balanced. It's, it sounds nice in the ear. Nice imagery. It's a good slogan. That is a slogan to build on. You can plaster that on your church. What does it look like? That's less balanced. That's not something you would wanna put on the outside of your church. What it looks like is hard. What would it mean for you? That the fruit of the love of God, the character of Jesus, fills and changes you. Remember last week, if you were here, how, how I said the love from God returns to God. God isn't divisible. He's one, and so his spirit in each of us draws us to himself. So we've become one with him, he says, as he and the Father are one. Not divided, not divisible, but one. So as we become filled with his character, He turns us toward him, not off on our own, separated from him. He turns us to him, and he changes us. He captures our attention more and more. He redeems parts of us bit by bit, and we become like him as he changes us. And so, as he says, from one degree of glory to another. And you are being made more and more into the image of Christ Jesus. In terms of specific character change, we find that the love of God produces certain virtues. Paul lists them here in Galatians chapter 5. Flowing out of love is joy. Peace, patience, Hold patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, a gentle spirit, and self-control, self-mastery. Those character qualities, they accompany a life that's, that's increasingly turned towards God, increasingly oriented towards Him filled with desire to know Him, you don't get them by rallying yourself to them. By seeking to know Him, He brings forth those virtues in you. When we read something like that, our temptation, our tendency is the opposite. We read many other of the Bible's teachings about God's design and His restoration because He gives vision of this is what I'm doing I'm doing in people, this is what I'm doing in the earth. And we will try to summon the power, the power of our mind, the power of our will, in order to accomplish the transformation. We will say, I do have it in me. Maybe not in you, it's in me. I, I think I've got it. We want also. The change to be immediate. We want it now. And so we launch out like Peter and the gang. Yes, I'll die for you. Yes, I do have it. We can't outrun the gospel. We can't outstrip, outmaneuver the gospel. What's true? You can't just have it now. You can't just have your character completely changed right now. That's sad news. The good news is that he is doing it. He will save you. He must save us. He must change us. He must reclothe us. And while our new nature, a new heart, a new life, comes suddenly and it comes forever and it comes irrevocably the reclothing takes time but still he must do it we cannot save ourselves we couldn't save ourselves we couldn't give ourselves new life and we can't save ourselves from ourselves So the fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's a love that has come from God. And so he must still be the one who brings it forth and ripens it. It's him. It's him and his life that he grows in us and ripens. Abide in my love, Jesus says, or remain in my love. And you will bear much fruit. Because all that he is and all that he has, he gives to us. Without measure, he gives. Without money, without price, he gives. And he gives. He's laid down his life for us. He's given himself. And he continues to give us every good thing in the face of our unfaithfulness. This catches me sometimes, just but, will shock me in the face of how unfaithful I am, wayward, in spite of a weak will, in spite of wandering eyes, in spite of my inability to live up to my aspirations. He gives, he gives himself with all that he is and all that he has, he honors us. He lavishes his gifts on us. So a big part of how we understand new covenant life with God and with each other is that the fruit of that spirit, the fruit of all the goodness that is God, is to be returned to him. With all that I am and with all that I have, I honor you. To the Galatians, Paul summed it up in this way, verse 23 of chapter 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He describes our part. That's our part. That's how we love according to the love of God. That's how we love with God the love of God by doing what Jesus did. It's not accidental that he used the word crucify there. We crucify our passions and desires. We love the way Jesus loved. By the power of Jesus' love, we die. Here again, it's not in our flesh to do that we will cut and run like the disciples. When we try to do it with the power of our flesh, we will find ourselves running. Failed. Our flesh will deny him. We will, we will find a way to justify the denial. It takes something from God. It takes grace from him. Brought by his spirit in order to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. He has to help us onto the cross. The daily cross. The one we take up daily to follow him. We won't just get on there. He has to help us. It takes the grace of God to love like God. So if I can't will myself to perfection and I can't save myself. How can I yield myself for this saving work of Christ? How can I yield? I yield. Surrender. Absolute surrender. Unreserved surrender. Slow and steady as opportunity comes and as He reveals, and surrender comes for us principally in this, that we accept the Word of God. We accept His gospel and His love as against our word, rather than whatever word we would whisper to ourselves we must yield to and surrender to his word. Jesus said this, if anyone loves me, he will hold fast my word. How do I love him? Hold fast his word. Abide in my love. Abide in, rest in his self-giving. And, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask anything. So echoing Jesus there, that once failing Peter, very acquainted with failure, later said, Since you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God, and have purified your souls by obeying the truth of that word, have agape towards one another. Earnestly from a pure heart. Since God has made you awake and alive, and since God has poured your, His word into you, and has poured His love into you, and you become pure by obeying that word, by receiving His word, then have love. We surrender by preferring God to ourselves by honoring his rule rather than our own desire, by listening to his word rather than to any other voice. That's how we surrender to him. Now, as I said earlier, uh, we, we enact this surrender and this acceptance weekly by the act of communion. It's, an, it's a visible inaction. We bring ourselves Some seasons of the liturgy, we say, we offer you ourselves, our souls and bodies, as a living sacrifice. We offer. And we change by receiving. But we're probably just going through the motions if we don't yield to the word during the week. These are motions we do. We can do them with no intention. So in that case, uh, our Sunday acts become a bit like Peter grabbing the sword and saying, I'm going to die. I go with you to die. Finally, surrender comes with a cost. This is why this is why I said the The fruit of the Spirit is a nice slogan, but when you look at it, it's not good advertising. (laughs) Surrender comes with a cost. The angel flies to the altar. We saw it in that picture from Isaiah, and he takes a live coal, burning coal from the altar of God, and he comes and he places it on the lips of Isaiah. We have to be changed. And it's individual. The priest can't be changed for you. Change that happens in me, and God willing changes happening in me, doesn't change you. No one else can be changed for you. Your spouse can't be changed on your behalf. The gift of God's love is for you, It's for you. And it comes directly to you. The transformation is yours. And so the sacrifice of self-giving love must be yours too. No one else can love on your behalf. So please hear this. This is is the grit. If you are growing in your desire to know God, and last week at Pentecost, we even had an opportunity for you to make that request. Lord, help me to love you more. Give me the grace to love you. If that desire is awakening in you, it is not going to go smoothly. heart. Jesus went to a cross. If you're experiencing frustrating trials, well, we can we can be quick to conclude, I'm just doing it wrong. Uh, Something's off. The Lord isn't hearing my prayers. Wrong! If you are experiencing frustrating trials, praise the Lord, understand that your desires and prayers are being answered. Trials are for you. They're for the proving. They're for the giving birth. Um, Mariah, the little one in our family, she got caterpillars. They went into these chrysalises so fast, amazing. To emerge from that chrysalis, they struggle for them to be changed, for them to come into their butterfly-ness. They have to wriggle out. It's difficult. One of them died in the process. That's a sign the Lord has left us. Change like that. New birth comes at cost. You're not going to be radically changed by sitting comfortably on a beach in Hawaii by thinking really nice thoughts. If you are like me, you have fallen prey to that. If I can get into a, in a really comfortable place, maybe a comfortable chair, with the temper just, temperature just right, and I can have godly thoughts, I think that's where the change happens. Zero. That's not where the change happens. So I want you to be encouraged. If you ask the Lord to change you, if you feel that desire and you are struggling, praise the Lord. You may be matured through the loss of a job, the loss of a reputation, the loss of a dream. You may experience the love of God through a difficult relationship. That's where you find him. It's where you find him faithful. It's in those things, in the crushing of how you imagine yourself. Because in the place of those lesser loves that are being pulled out, the weed that's being pulled out, the stuff of the old life of your caterpillar life is being changed. And the spirit is offering you himself instead. It's in this love that we're the priesthood of all believers. It's in this that you, you yourself, enter the holy of holies. And his holiness works its good in you. And it's sharing this love that we exercise this priesthood Next week, uh, we'll talk about how this love for God, it's directed to him, and yet it issues out in love for each other. Next week, we'll talk about lay ministry, and how the desire to give ourselves to God produces other service, even unconsciously. But unless we're walking in dependence on the grace of and the love of God, unless we are very clear that we are receivers, recipients of gift, we're the recipients of change. Unless we aim to give ourselves to him, even our service will stand as a memorial of honor to ourselves. It will be an idol to honor us and our glory. So, let's love the one who has saved us. And with all that he is and all that he has, he has honored us. Lord, that is incomprehensible to us. It's so big. But we pray that just a glimpse, give us a glimpse of your kindness in giving yourself to us. We can't possibly catch it all. Enable us to see a bit more of you. In Jesus' name.